Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, friends. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you so very much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all blessedly without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Nellie Clay. Nellie Clay came to Nashville by way of rural Alaska, where she'd spent the better part of the last decade living more or less off the grid. In remote parts of the world without modern conveniences and distractions like electricity and televisions, people are forced to entertain themselves and one another in the manner in which humans have been doing so since time immemorial, by passing around instruments and singing songs. Clay had fallen into this sort of primitive existence after years of restoring early Russian paintings in Minnesota. A vacation to America's largest and northernmost state planted a seed in her soul that would soon grow into a limitless forest with a magnetic pull that she felt called to inhabit. In short order... Clay gave away most of her possessions and lit out for Alaska. In that simpler, Thoreauvian setting, she experienced a musical rebirth that was kindled by the rich, local campfire folk music scene. When numerous musicians traveling through town urged Clay to consider a move to Nashville, she took heed and uprooted herself once again. Since arriving in Music City, USA, where the local music scene is currently white-hot, she has assembled a crack band that brings her crafty songs to life. Clay possesses a torch-and-twang, tight vibrato alto voice that was custom-made for slapback echo, and the achings in her melodies reflect the downtrodden, wandering characters that inhabit her songs. For now, at least, Nellie Clay's musical true north is a little farther south in Tennessee, and in the two short years she has spent in Nashville, she has established herself at the legendary songwriter's foundry, The Bluebird Cafe, and released a new album with a title that could serve as her personal mission statement, Never Did What I Should Have Done. Welcome to Independence Day, Nellie Clay. Hey, Nellie, how are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate this so very much. We've been trying to do this for months. I think I first made contact with you like around the holidays last year, I think. was it? It's been a while, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of unbelievable how difficult it can be to coordinate people and schedules, but I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're here today. Yeah, and well, especially doing it like we're doing it. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and like let the genie out of the bottle. We're doing this oh, interview yeah. <laughs> completely remotely through the miracle of technology, which I've done a couple times before. Uh, it's very common in the radio business, uh, podcast business. Um, but uh, thank you for all your legwork on your end and making this happen. It's uh, it's just it's really cool to work with people who really want to be involved with something. So I try to build something very special with this show. So this week's artist, like I was saying, Nellie Clay. She's a Nashville-based artist, but you've got such an interesting geographical path to what you've done in your life. And you know, one of the first things I want to ask you about is just basically kind of give me your baseball card. You know, pretend, you know, most of the listeners, you know, they're not going to know who you are. So I know that you spent some time, like, was you, were you born in Oklahoma? Was that like the very first place this story started? Like, give me, give me that, that, that jump off point. Yeah, I mean, I was born in Oklahoma. I would say rural Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, you know, I lived there as a young child and spent my summers there. Uh, when I was older, my grandparents, I, I think, first moved to Oklahoma in the early fifties. Um, you know, who were they uh, before that? Do you know? Do you know where they came Texas, from? Texas. My people came from like Texas mostly, and little, <laughs> my people. And there's a little bit of Louisiana um, in there okay. and stuff. So, but yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like a real Okie in my heart. You know, I've got I'm a red dirt girl. Com- you know, all yeah. the, all the way. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a ton of artists from Oklahoma. There's some pretty influential ones. I mean, and then uh, John Fulbright, I know, still lives. I think he's still in Oklahoma, I think. He is. I know uh, I know John. I'm a big fan of his. 
Yeah, I love John's stuff. Um, John Moreland the is there, yeah. Yeah, John Moreland. Uh, and there's, there's a goodly number of, of them there. And then, you know, we're going to talk about this later when we talk about the shows, but you're going to be playing a show, this Woody Guthrie Festival, mm-hmm. pretty soon. You like, so we'll, I mean, we'll talk about that as we get oh, yeah. more into this. But so now, coming from a place like Oklahoma, you know, we're talking about a landlocked place. We're talking about a relatively flat place. Mm-hmm. Like in your formative years growing up, was, you know, was music part of your family? Growing up, I mean, did did the did the Clay family sit around and, and pick banjos and <laughs> that kind of thing, or were you, were you like the outlier in the family? Because I was certainly the outlier in my family with music. Um, yeah, no, I don't come from a musical family, really. I didn't, you know, I I, I you know, I think like being in Southern Oklahoma, I think you know, definitely the shop. You know, my dad had like was always like making things in this metal wood shop, and there's like you know an old radio playing, and and those you know, parts, it was most definitely Johnny Cash stuff and everything you'd expect to be played on, you know, classic country being played, you know, in the the early 80s, you know, when I was a kid in the early 80s. Randy Travis. Yeah, you know, that, I think my mom tells me, I think she was like, uh, I think my mom and dad went, drove to Oklahoma City to go to see Johnny Cash in concert um, when I was, when she was like maybe seven or eight months pregnant with me. Wow. So, that's, a, that's a good story. Yeah. It's a good origin story, as they yeah, say in the yeah. movie business these days. So My we, mom yeah. saw the Beatles. Oh, wow. Can you believe wow. that? I, I know. She was like a kid. She has, she has one photograph. Like she went to see him in this place in Chicago and she was like one of those screaming young girls, but she like, she said she could barely even see them. She yeah. just held up her camera over her head and aimed it at the stage. Yeah. And like there's, she's got the picture to this very day old, like looks like a, you know, a real physical Instagram picture or, oh, yeah. and like there they are, John Paul, George and Ringo. So now that there must've been, your, your parents must've been music fans or was there an uncle? Because like a lot of people... <laughs> Like, they don't go into music if, if there's not music in the family, or it's less likely, it seems like, because it's a crazy thing to go into. I mean, a lot of, it seems like a lot of people, even in my own family, tried to talk me out of going into music, and they were probably right. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but, like, where, where, but where did that appreciation for music come from that made it so strong for you that it made something you wanted to, like, get into, like, as an avocation? You know, you know, it is, I think my, maybe my story is kind of a weird one. I mean, r- really, music was not really a part of our life. I'll be, I'll be just real honest with you. I can imagine it right. was on the radio. Um, uh, music was not talked about, really. <laughs> um, unfortunately, um, nobody played, really, that nobody that I knew. Um, or spend any time around. Uh, and um, I guess like, you know, I was became, I really didn't become a huge music fan until I was in college. And I went to college for visual arts, you know, but that's like when I discovered, uh, you know, but I didn't have like, a, you know, a family that had a cool record collection that, you know, we didn't sit, right. on, sit on the floor and, and, uh, and, you know, play records together or anything like that. And so music came yeah. to me um, sort of, you know, later in life and and maybe unexpectedly. So I don't know, maybe it comes from a past life <laughs> or, right. or, you know, something, something un, someplace unknown. I can't trace yeah. it. Yeah. But was there a moment, like, did you, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think there's like a watershed moment, because I've run across lots of musicians run, run into this in their lives, where, you know, my mom sang in church choir, my dad, my both my parents were very, they listened to a lot of music, they really loved music, there was, you know, they sang around the house, but nothing formal, just like my dad would sing in the shower, sure, like anybody sure. would, you know, and my mom did sing in church choir, 
Um, but they lo- there was always, it seemed like there were always music playing. There was always music playing in my house growing up. And, yeah. you know, and for me, it was funny. Like, it, it comes from weird places. Like, it was like watching The Monkees, which was a TV show about a band that was on every day because the reruns were airing back uh-huh. when I was a kid. And, like, as I saw them, like, oh, hey, they can, you know, they're, they're, there's these guys and they're not old folks and they're not singing in a church choir and they're like playing guitar. So I'd go get a tennis racket and that'd be my guitar. And, you know, where I grew up, there were cornfields. So I can remember like standing at the bottom like of a hill with a cornfield sloping up the hill because the corn in the right light kind of looks like people. Yeah. You know, at night or in the evening. It's like, I'm, that's, I'm pretend I was on stage. And I don't know. So there, it's interesting. So there wasn't a particular, wasn't, was there a moment you decided? Because you, you came to it late though, right? So I've, maybe there wasn't you know, a maybe I sh- when you were a kid. Maybe I shouldn't admit this, you know, but I was, I was, I was 30, like the first time I, yeah. you know, really like you know decided to sing or anything you know um uh-huh. i was pretty i've i've always you know had kind of had kind of a you know strange speaking voice i think you know people uh, <laughs> you know i'm you know turning 40 this year and i still sound like a little kid sometimes but uh so i think like when people you know always kind of tease you about the way you talk like yeah. it's not like your first you know inclination to decide to be a singer. <laughs> well, I mean, people are going to, children are ruthless. Like Lord of the Flies is totally real. Children will tease you about anything. Yeah. Believe me, you could be like the most like awesome kid in the world and the kids will still find a way to relentlessly taunt you. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, better to, better to sound like a kid at 40 than it is to sound <laughs> like an old woman at 15. Perhaps, maybe let's look at it that way. Sure, sure. Because now all those people who are taunting you yeah. are actually old themselves, and yeah. they don't sound like a kid. So I there's just, that. I sing like an old woman. I don't know. You know, I don't know what happens. <laughs> and let's let's give people a little taste of what you actually sound like. This week's guest on Independence Day, Nellie Clay, Nashville-based artist. She's got some roots in Alaska. She's got some roots in. Uh, we were just talking about Oklahoma, where she spent her formative years. Uh, we're going to play a track from your most recent record, which just came out late last year. Uh, the record's called Never Did What I Should Have Done, and this is the track What They Gonna Say. So Nellie Clay on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Her name is Nellie Clay. Thank you very much to her for joining us on the show this week. You can drop by indepthday.com to hear this episode along with 160 plus other episodes. Please drop by Nellie Clay Music to hear her stuff. And that's N-E-L-L-I-E-C-L-A-Y. And you know how to spell music, everybody. Everybody's astute listeners here, I hope. And uh, Nellie, thank you again for joining us. This is so great to talk to you. Like, I I can't wait to talk to you about this next part. Ever since I first (laughs) met you, because you spend a lot of time in the only state that I have, to which I have never been. Let's use our proper grammar here, <laughs> which is Alaska. So having grown up in Oklahoma, it seems like a big jump 
to go from like I don't know, you know, Podunk, Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma, <laughs> to Alaska, like the Great White North, the Great Frontier, the largest state. Like how? Like first of all, like how long was it before you had the idea until you actually moved? Oh gosh. Um, again, maybe not what you'd expect. Um, I should say, like you know, I went to university in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and I did live in Min- okay. I did live in Minneapolis for ten years before. Um, moving to Alaska. So I feel like at least I got temporarily prepped, you know, with a Northern climate. Right. So I didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so I didn't go for it's, like, it's like the, it's like the air, cold weather airlock. Yeah. Yeah. So there was sort of an, you know, there were 10 years in Minnesota, um, acclimating to cold, you know, colder weather climate, I guess that, that, uh, may have helped with the transition. That was my yeah. first romance with, uh, the Northwoods, I guess. But, um, so I, you know, I, it wasn't, I was not one of these people that had like this long time dream to go to Alaska. You meet people all the time there that, you know, say that for whatever reason, that it was always a dream of theirs. And, and honestly, you know, the thought really never crossed my mind. Um, but I had a college friend that graduated before me and got a teaching job there. And he wrote the most amazing letters back to some of us of all these amazing tales and um and then I had like you know I was working at a at the Museum of Russian Art in Minneapolis actually restoring Russian oil paintings and had some paid vacation I decided to take my vacation in Alaska and uh totally fell in love with the mountains and the ocean and the wilderness and and the people and the way of life and basically put in my notice and cashed in my 401k and Wow. Fit, took what fit back into, you know, in the back of the truck. I, I think I had all my girlfriends come over and pick through all my pretty things that I wasn't going to huh. need where I was going, you know? So uh-huh. that's, well, that's, yeah, that's, so that's what happened. So, okay. So now how, but, but then what was the timeline like? Okay. You, you go, like, I've certainly fallen in love with, fallen in love with places, geographically speaking, or felt very, very unique like vibe sounds too hippie to sound, but like when I first, I've only been to Missoula, Montana once in my entire life. Sure. Like I stopped there. We, we were driving from, we were in college. We were driving from my podunk college town in central Illinois all the way to Vancouver, British Columbia. And we stopped in Missoula in the morning to gas up. And, you know, having already been road weary for a couple of days. And I just remember thinking, man, this place has the most incredible vibe or energy mm-hmm. or like something's going, something's going on here, you know? And, and that must be similar to what you felt in Alaska. But so, but then, so you go on a vacation and then did you, did you have this like moment of clarity while you were in Alaska? Like, Hey, I'm going to move here. Or did you then go back to Minneapolis and be like, we're sitting around <laughs> scraping, bar- scraping barnacles off a czar's head on a painting and then like, Oh, I think I'm going to go back there. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause that's pretty close to how, 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 how that <laughs> restoration went. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was almost instantaneous. It was one of those magical things where you, um, you know, set foot off of the airplane and you feel like you're home. And uh, uh-huh. so that's, uh, it was it was magical like that. I knew almost instantly. And, you know, and I was, ha- I had a pretty good gig back in Minneapolis, you know, at the museum. Right. So I wasn't unhappy by any stretch, but like, you know, standing on the top right. of a mountain, you're like, wow, you know, I only have this one life as far as I know. And like, right. I want it to be here, you know. Yeah, and when life comes a calling, like I feel like 
so many people go through their lives, they might get those messages, like those, those pings, those sonar pings from the yeah. universe telling you to go, hey, you know, and, and for some people, it's not even geographical. Some people, it's, you know, they fail a calling to mm-hmm. be a doctor or to be uh, an artist or a basketball player or, you know, an insurance adjuster, whatever it is. I, I think that latter one's probably sure. not, doesn't happen that much, but, but you never know. Life is funny that way. And I think that a lot of people aren't trained to heed those voices or to, to like hear that oh, yeah. ping as what it is when it happens. So kudos to you for, <laughs> you know, having the presence of mind and having the courage to like follow through with that because that's a big jump. You know, it's not Thank like, you, you know, it's not like being, you know, in Oklahoma, because I'm sure your folks were like, oh, she's all the way in Minneapolis. It's too far, but you can still drive home for Christmas or what have you. And then like thinking, oh, I've always wanted to live in, you know, Bloomington, Indiana. Sure. <laughs> Going there because it's not that big. Of, it's not that big I, of a change. Alaska is a, a big change. It is. Like, how did your fa- how did your family react when you were like, hey, folks and family, I'm moving 3000 miles away? Uh, you know, we won't spend much time on that subject. <laughs> Which should probably give you a clue about how they felt about it. I think they thought I was half, yeah. you know, half baked and dropping out of society and probably throwing right. throwing my life and its potential away. <laughs> right. You know, so it didn't it didn't go over it real well. I'll be honest. And so, I mean, I think like that's some of where the name of my album comes from. You know, never did what I should have done, and which really right, which right. really means I never did what anybody else thought I should have done. You know, so right. I have been. Well, those are my kind of people. Yeah, I'm guided by that gut, you know, and I knew that I was supposed to be in Alaska, that it had great things to teach me. And I don't think I would have become a musician had I not moved there. Now, well, that was going to be my next question. Like, chronologically speaking, was becoming a musician after moving to Alaska? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the way to look at it. Like, your moving to Alaska was merely prepping your parents for the fact that you were then going to become a musician, which is <laughs> arguably even more risky and more insane yeah. than moving to Alaska, yeah. I think. Even, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Okay. More of the so same. So I want to... Exactly. Well, now that we've got you from Oklahoma to, you know, basically arriving in Alaska, I want sure. to hear more about Alaska. But first, I want you guys to play some music. You guys have done some live songs here mm-hmm. for us, or you're about to do some live songs mm-hmm. for us here. And I think, tell me about this first track. I think it's Every Man for Himself. Tell me just a little <laughs> bit about this and we'll hear it. All right. Um, this song, I, you know, I wrote, I wrote this maybe six months ago. Um, I think it's very much, a. it felt like a product of living in Nashville. Um, maybe that explains it a little bit. Uh, this, it's also speaks to maybe just sort of this, you know, human condition in that, you know, we're all in this thing together, but it is every man for himself. (laughs) And the great, the great irony of us, you know, being in this together and, and, but yet we're alone. And, and then sometimes, you know, we have people that, you know, want to bring us together and you want to you know, a person that you might would follow anywhere, but ultimately we're on our own. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, without getting all like depressingly existential about oh, it, it's it like, is, well, we come, yeah. we, we come into the world alone and we die alone. Right. You know? And I, but, and I, don't, we, yeah, I don't think might, it's a sad, it's not really a depressing song or anything. Just kind of explains itself, right. I reckon, but just, Yeah. Little commentary. Well, I guess I was I was speaking more about the concept of like you know it's it seems pretty bleak, you know, and very Russian actually to like show up by yourself and die by yourself. Like you show up naked, you know. Of course, your parents are there and they gave you life, etc. And hopefully they you know raise you. And then at the end, hopefully you know we would all like to be surrounded by loved ones when we go. But 
really that's the, those are the things you experience, you know, unto yourself. Right. You know, you're, it's, that's just, that's, 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 that's what we do as humans. Like, you know, birth, death, and taxes, as they say, and, you know, maybe hangovers somewhere in there too. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is Nellie Clay. She's a Nashville based artist. This is a new song, correct, Nellie? Yeah. Okay, new song. The song is called Every Man for Himself, Nellie Clay on Independence Day. Two, three, four. Said we're all in this mess together. But it's every man for himself. Don't you know there's strength in numbers? Too busy worrying about your health. It's getting older, it ain't easy.
That was Nellie Clay and her band, which is comprised of Megan Palmer on violin and vocals, Jeff Burke, who's playing some banjo and mandolin today, Eric Alvar, he's playing some bass, and Aaron Schaefer Hayes, he's playing drums and percussion. So great band, great song. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super lucky to have uh, all my friends uh, play with me. Um, I got the feel like I got the best friends in the whole world, and they happen to be uh, fantastic players too. So that's very convenient for you. Yeah, I'm a lucky girl. Lucky, well, it's good to be lucky. Lucky's, <laughs> lucky's better than rich. I think lucky's better than good looking. Lucky's better than a lot of things. So, mm-hmm. uh, great, great tune. I, I like what you do. It's cool. It's got kind of a torch and twang aspect to it, um, but yet it's kind of earthy and Americana all at the same time. Uh, and these are things, these are styles of music that are very close to my heart. I like lots of different music for lots of different reasons, but I like what you do. Well, so thank kudos you. and keep it up. Thank you. Um, so, and I, I want to talk about that Nashville community, but I don't want to talk about it just yet. Like I'm still so fascinated by this whole Alaska concept mm-hmm. because again, a friend of mine just got back from Alaska. She spent all weekend up there and I sent back a, a bunch of really awesome pictures and being a person who's drawn to the mountains myself, I spend as much time as I can with my boots in the dirt. Uh, you know, away. I mean, I, I love humans actually, but I do love to get away from humans. <laughs> Maybe it's the Gemini in me. But uh, Alaska is the only state I've never been to. So you you arrive in Alaska, right? You've made this plan, and off you go. You drive up there in your truck. You're, like you said, your girlfriends took all your pretty things. I like how you use that phrase. <laughs> There's a song right there, yeah. giving away your pretty things. Yeah, I had Free to walk away. You. I couldn't watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but then you arrive in Alaska, like. What's the first thing you do? Like you, you roll into town. First of all, where did you roll into? Um, the first place I decided to make home because um, I had met some met people there is a little tiny mountain town called Moose Pass. <laughs> it's a very special uh-huh. place on Earth. It's about a hundred and ten people live there, tucked away in the mountains. It's on the Kenai Peninsula, about thirty five miles from the coast, and. And the gorgeous mountains, lakes, and rivers, and <laughs> right special. Place. And what time of year is it? Like, set the scene for me. Like, what time of year is it that you're rolling into there? July. Okay, so long days, very long days. Yes, yeah, we get quite a bit of quite a bit of daylight <laughs> during that time of year. And then, so what do you do? Do you like do you go to the bar and have a beer and say, "Hey, I'm here," or did you <laughs> did you already have a place to live lined up? Like, I, I'm just I'm just wildly curious. Like, I love maybe I'm jealous because I, I myself I mean I love California, but I'm there's always a part of me that's it's fantasizing about moving to somewhere else. Um, sure. So, like, what what's the first thing you did? I mean, I had I did have a place set up. Um, the friend that I you know knew from my college days that was teaching out there. Um, he was gone a lot and had a dog that, you know, needed taken care of. And, um, it was, you know, I don't want to get too much into my personal life. It did, be, that did become a relationship. Um, but, uh, uh-huh. you know, was, had a place to stay for a little while until, until I moved, soft, until I moved right. on. <laughs> but right. yeah. Well, it's, it's important yeah. to have a soft place to land. Like that's a very, very helpful thing to, to have a toehold. Yeah. You know, or a beachhead in a new place because I mean, then you've got a, like a safe place to then experience it. So then, so now you know you had been you know you said restoring Russian paintings, <laughs> right? And which is a which is I would let's just say it's a fairly esoteric job to begin with. Yeah. Like what 
did you try to stick in something? Can you even do that kind of thing in Alaska? Like what? what you no, know, you've got to yeah, get some money no. coming in. Like what do you do for work? Um, I had cashed in my four hundred one k from work. You know, okay, that so I hadn't coasted. hadn't been contributing to for very long, and I sold <laughs> right. a lot. I did sell a lot of things, and I had some savings, and um, and then uh-huh. there, you know, you're in small communities, and so you get kind of you do random odd jobs helping people do things for little bits of you know, cash and, uh, you know, like, you know, running shuttle for a fly fishing guide, you know, just dropping people off on the river and, you know, appealing, peeling logs for somebody that's building a cabin. Here's a few bucks. But when you're living out there real simple, like, um, you really don't need much of any money to be honest. Um, you know, for most people don't realize, you know, realize there's a whole bunch of people living, in the United States, <laughs> in Alaska, though, but, uh, right. with no plumbing and ele- no electricity, and nobody had cell phones because there were no cell towers, and so you have, you know, you have no utility bills and no cell phone bill, and life's pretty simple, and that's why you, everybody plays music. There's <laughs> nothing else right. to now, do. <laughs> now, now, that was an intentional thing for you, though. Like getting off the grid was kind of part and parcel to the whole reason you went, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're not like running from the law. You didn't get busted with <laughs> no. a bunch of drugs in a DC three or something. Um, that, no, you didn't that, kill someone and drop them in the river. Like you just wanted to go and yeah. kind of get away from get away from reality. Right. I mean, I think like, and I didn't know that that's what I needed. You know, I went there for vacation, okay. um, but I, you know, I'm guilty of reading Thoreau. More than once, and and uh, uh-huh. I think that I just knew that you know my soul like needed that. I you know I guess I didn't know how much anxiety maybe I was walking around with in Minneapolis on a day to day basis. Like you know I was right. really quite content and had a great job, and but I still sat through rush hour traffic twice a day, you know, and right, and right, right. you know still had like gang graffitied you know building every morning and. And, you know, these kinds of realities that you just sort of suck up and accept. And then when you're, you know, someplace quiet and peaceful and and, in sync with nature and you can breathe and and then the contrast is, 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 is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people don't know what they don't know. Right. In terms of in terms of alternate realities. And I don't mean LSD alternate realities, although that can certainly be something like that. I guess what I mean is, you know, we we fall into, you know, we in our lives, we set on onto a path and part of that's intentional. And part of that is just happenstance, what happens to us in our lives. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, it's 20 years on and you're wearing a lot of armor or you're wearing a lot of clothes that maybe you didn't know. You don't even know that you're wearing them. Sure. You know, you don't, you don't know how, you know, we, we our society, another way to look at it, like, I feel like our society has a lot of illness in it. And I think a lot of that is caused by these sorts of things. Like we take on these mantles and we take on these clothes and we take on these things that we don't know that we take on just because it's, some of it's just what we do as humans. Mm-hmm. Some of it's natural progression of getting older. Um, and, but next thing you know, you're, you know, fighting traffic in some big city and these aren't necessarily bad things. But when someone has that moment of clarity or someone like, you know, that the, the doors of perception open a little bit mm-hmm. and you see that there's an alternate reality and then you jump, you walk through that door. Now you can't take some things with you. You have to let go of certain things. Yeah. That's, that's um, a big part I, of it. Yeah. And I think that, but a lot of people don't really, 
I don't want to say they lack courage because that might be some of it for some people, but they don't even know that they don't know or they don't even know that these things exist or that they right. could do something other than what they're doing. And then the farther you get into it, the harder it is to shed those things True. because then they start to become part of your own support structure and part of your own reality. And, you know, we've got our TVs and our cars and our, and our, and our society being as materialistic as it is, uh, I think caters to that. Oh, yeah. So, and that's my... That's my soapbox for today. I think we're, we're too materialistic <laughs> in our country. We're too tied to our stuff. Oh, sure. I mean, you know? and I was in the art world in Minneapolis. I feel like, you know, I spent my weekends going to galleries, sipping wine yeah. and, and saying very like bourgeois things, you know, and then... <laughs> There's that word. Right. And then, uh, I know it's so fun to say. And then, you know, and I go to Alaska and like, and these are not like people that just like crawled out of the woods. They're people like myself that, you know, went to university or whatever, had professional careers and then... And then decided to leave, you know, leave it behind temporarily or permanently. And I, you know, I'm standing around bonfires with these folks and the conversations revolve around, you know, more real things, I guess, shall we say, you know, that staying, getting firewood to stay warm and hauling water and all the thing and playing and people uh, telling stories and playing, making music together. And then I realized, you know, like what an educated sort of you know, jerk I sounded like, like back home and that, and that I, and I really, I had become really narrow and that I only knew how to talk about art and that there were, that there were other things to talk about. And yeah, I I knew I had a lot, I had things to learn. It's fascinating in a way because for a lot of people working in the art world would already be rebellious. That would already (laughs) be out of the norm. That would already be something that was a part you know, from the regular kind of, even though you had a, maybe a work a day job, but I mean, scraping, you know, s- smoke stains, like we were saying off a of czar's head right. in a painting from 200 years ago is way out of the norm compared to what most people do in terms of their daily lives, which is pushing a mouse around and shuffling papers around Oh yeah, and, you know, getting a virtual paycheck, which is what we all get, it seems like these days. Oh yeah. I was learning the history of Russia, you know, through dirt and grime. Uh, you know, surface dirt and grime of paintings, <laughs> learning about socialist realism and Stalin yeah. and 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 all kinds of things like that. Yeah, it was it was terribly interesting. But ironically, you know, every artist like wants to make their mark on the world, and you know, yeah. my job was done well when my work was invisible. You know, <laughs> and so right. I'm like, it was a, yeah. a great gravity and you know importance in in restoring these these right. these teaching objects of art. Um, so that people in the West can see them. Um, but at the same time, it was like, you know, I can't really, I, am I really going to work on dead people's paintings for the rest of my life? Probably not. <laughs> but look at it this way, though. Like, one, when I was thinking about uh, that particular job that you were doing when you were doing that, is that, you, in, a way, in a way, you're time traveling. Yeah. Because you're, you're removing years, you know, literally, uh, of accumulated gunk. Uh, you know, off of something from the past. Oh, yeah. Taking, you can only go back so you can only go back so far, you know, but you can go back to the origin of that painting, which is pretty cool in a way to yeah. think about it. You could tell what, um, uh, like, what, what, like, region they were from, even by the, wow. s- by the smell of it, you know? Like, if they're yeah, yeah, just yeah. coal soot because they heated their studios with coal stoves. Um, if they were coastal, they would size their canvases with fish skin glue from the fish. Wow. And then if they were, if Stalin had sent them, if they were Jewish and Stalin, st- Stalin sent them to work on a, on a hog farm, that they would press hog manure into the back of burlap sacks and actually paint on them. You know, so wow. when you think about what you do for your art, 
you know, uh, it's, it's yeah. really pretty incredible. And there's no better, well, no better way to learn about have. people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People make art with what they have available at the time. And I think that's another thing that people forget. Just make art. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter how it is. Make art with, you know, do, do with what you have. Mm-hmm. And at great risk um, to themselves. I mean, like, I'm, yeah. I'm privy every week to conversations us musicians have about, you know, how difficult it is to make it and stuff. And right. I think about, think about those artists, you know, that artists, you know, yeah. they actually risk their life and freedom, you know, to, to tell the truth, right. to tell the truth in their art. Very real. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, art is, you know, art is what defines our cultures. You know, I think we, you know, we, we have lots of history books, but if you want to look what people really thought about things, you got to look at the art or you got to listen to the art. Definitely. At least that's what, that's what I think about it. And the other thing is, I mean, this is kind of an offhanded joke, but I think, you know, when you're, if you're scraping, you know, grime off of Russian painting, I'm imagining scraping a lot of smoke mm-hmm. and uh, vodka and scowling <laughs> is what you're scraping off of the- <laughs> But you're scraping <laughs> off those paintings. Absolutely. Anyway, I love it. <laughs> this week's guest, this week, <laughs> I'm glad we're amused. This week's guest is Nellie Clay. You can learn about her at NellieClayMusic.com. She's a wonderful, wonderful artist. She's based in Nashville these days, but we're talking about her time that she spent in Alaska. Nellie, play us another song. I think we've got Wichita. Tell me a little bit about this. And I want to come back, talk a little bit more about Alaska. So I want to say how you got from Alaska to music. But tell me about Wichita first. Uh, Wichita is uh, um, one of my up, more upbeat fun songs to play, I think. Uh, it's, you know, I, I wanted to leave Alaska and I was going to come to the lower 48 and and I had a, a half-brother that was like, maybe you should come to Wichita. <laughs> and I, I guess I was really open to suggestions, but so I traveled to, uh-huh. I traveled to Wichita for a week. It was wild. Um, I decided not to move there and I wrote the song. <laughs> To paraphrase a joke from Field of Dreams, like we stayed in Wichita for as long as we could, almost a whole afternoon. (laughs) Anyway, okay, Nellie Clay, uh, this is her song, Wichita and Independence Day. Put your hands up Try to keep it 
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific time. This time of year, it's Pacific Daylight Time. And oh, God, do I love summer. I love these long days. Uh, this week's artist is Nellie Clay. She's a Nashville-based artist, but we're talking a little bit more about her time in Alaska, the last state for me that I have never, upon which I have never set foot, although I long to. I've seen it from an airplane yeah. on the way to Japan. I looked down and was like, ah, that's the last one right there. That's Alaska. Yeah, you're going to have to do something uh, about that, Joe. I do, I do. You have to be my tour guide. Will you take me? I'll go. I would love to, I'll ride to, with actually. you. I'll, I'll, I, will hide in your, I will hide in any amount of luggage that you have. Uh, but in any case, you know, that would actually be good, though, because I, I, I need a soft place to land. Because when I go to places, like I don't want to show up in Anchorage and go to the Motel 6, because that's, that's a crappy way no. to get to know a place. I mean, it'll work in a pinch, yeah, You I don't suppose. want to end up in the Puffin Inn, let me tell you that. No. But, um, yeah, no. you want a local. You don't want to be a tourist there. You want to be a local. You want a local to take exactly, care of. Exactly, exactly. And I think as musicians, especially traveling at the level you know that I, I think you do and that I do, and I travel as a musician, you know, we're not staying at the W. No. <laughs> um, you know, I've certainly I've I've traveled around in buses, and I have stayed at the W working with bands that could pay me as such. Sure. Uh, but generally, you know, people like us, we sleep on people's floors. Yes. And we sleep, you know, like the the Motel Six is like, oh, it's shower day. Yes. <laughs> you know, we might sleep Otherwise, in a tent. Might be the back of a truck yeah. one night. <laughs> exactly. We sleep where we sleep where we have as much shelter as we can get. Sleep in a cardboard box underneath the overpass. I kid, maybe just a little bit, but not far from it. It seems like sometimes <laughs> it hasn't come to that. Thank um, yeah, yeah. Thank God for that. Thank God for friends. I mean, man, I have a friend. He's a professional folk musician. Hats off to Joe Jenks. He has been a professional folk musician with a capital F for like. Yeah, 20 years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And he's eked, out, he's eked out a living at it. And man, I can't even tell you how many couches that guy slept in. Probably, <laughs> you know, more than, a, more than Ikea has sold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like. I've got a song on my record called Sleeping on Floors. I always, I always yeah. tell people, yeah, I wrote this when I was sleeping on floors. <laughs> Too many to count. Camping... Yeah, camping camping technology has really facilitated that though, because like the little inflatable sleeping pads and all that stuff has gotten a lot smaller and a lot better. So now we can almost have a, a you know, if you're used to it, I guess it's just kind of it's kind of your bed wherever it is. You know, anywhere yeah. I lay my head. What's that Tom Waits song? Thermo rest. Anyway. You only need six of them. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm talking with Nellie Clay. Nellie, tell me now. Okay, so now you're in Alaska. Uh-huh. You're working odd jobs. Somewhere along the line, right? You've already done this one crazy thing, which is moved to Alaska. <laughs> And you're already in the art world in the sense that you've devoted your life to something, you know, even if it's tangentially related in terms of cleaning other people's art. Yeah. You're still in the art world, right? So you're, you're receptive to the concept of making art. Now, at what point, you know, because you said before you didn't grow up with a musical family mm-hmm. necessarily. You know, music might have been around. You know, you'd been working in the art field. You're an adult at this point. Now you're in Alaska. And what is it that makes you go, bing, one day I'm going to not just play around the campfire but I'm going to write songs like yeah. how did you get from here to there I mean I, wa- I mean I was an art maker myself I, you know definitely was making my own paintings and sculpture too and stuff but uh which you know after the museum job didn't leave much time left over for that but um so I guess I, I was a creator too and 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 not just a, a well-paid cleaner <laughs> of art um uh, I, don't, I don't want you to get the wrong idea Right, I'm not. I'm not in any way. I'm just kidding. You know, dogging on the fact that you're making. You know, right? You're, you're merely a. You're merely a uh, house cleaner. Sure, I love the idea of that though. Just being a really well-paid painting cleaner, but um. Yeah, yeah. But uh, actually, you know, again, it was just like very like organic. I think, like I said, you know, we, nobody's got a TV. Nobody, you can't get a, even get a radio signal in, you know, and so. Everybody, you know, everybody heats their cabin by a wood stove. And so, 
you know, you've got a pile of limbs. Everybody's got a pile of limbs that, you know, to set fire to every week. And we all just gathered around at everybody, each other's cabins. We'd trade and, you know, uh, somebody plays claw hammer banjo and just about every yard had a wash tub base in it and, um, uh-huh. you know, some, uh, you know, things like that. So everybody played and it was kind of a, a thing where so neighborly, anywhere between six and 15 people. And, and it was kind of a, you know, everybody was encouraged to participate. So, um, uh-huh. I joke that the first instrument I played was an empty beer can with rocks, you know, that I was, you know, uh-huh. per- right, right. I was a percussionist first around the campfire. But, um, you know, I think like, I was encouraged to sing um, by my friend Mark that played banjo, and and I was pretty against it. But then I, you know, I I did, and and my friends seemed to think that it was okay. So uh, and then I, you know, it feel I feel like it was practically. It feels like it was overnight that I decided um, that I wanted to write my own songs instead of sing you know other people's songs. And um, right. And I you know I don't know that I would have you know found this if I'd not been in Alaska, you know, playing around a campfire for my friends and neighbors because it was such, it was the most kind audience that anybody could hope for to be like, you know, cutting their teeth or whatever, you know? Um, right, right. It was just a really a kind environment for that. And, and I fell in love with it just very organically. It sounds like something out of a, you know, Norman Rockwell painting come to life, but just yeah. all these mountain people gathering around um, a fire every weekend and playing music and singing. And that's how it really was. So, um, bearded men in flannel with guitars. Yes, for real. So I was actually, I was <laughs> unaware that that had become a hipster style, actually. So, oh, right. Yeah, the lumber sexual thing. Right. <laughs> it's better off that they don't know. <laughs> Just they, they can exist yeah. in, in bliss. I, I know <laughs> I know now it. that it's not utilitarian on the streets of Nashville. But um but that's but that's okay. They look good. So. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, no, I, I think I, I fell in love with it. I, I got the bug. We were asked to sing at a solstice festival for some band that canceled. And um so I sang into the mic for the first time and I was just pretty sold, you know. I think yeah. somewhere along the line, somebody's told me that joke about lead singers being like grown-up kids that didn't get enough attention or something, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> right. I do. I can remember that exact moment of being on stage, you know, at the base of a mountain right, with right, like right. you know three hundred, you know, people that came from all over these little mountain towns and being on stage with with my friends and singing. I thought this is the best damn feeling i've ever had in the whole world and i and i want more of this (laughs) it is it's funny it's like a drug it really is like a drug Mm -hmm. you know you can ask my my high school music teacher you know when he was teaching us you know we had gotten to the point where we were teaching he was teaching music theory so there are only a handful of us because in high school that wasn't like a regular class there were maybe six of us in the class and I remember one day he said, I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm going to explain performing to you guys right now. And the ones, you, you'll get it when I say it. And he goes, okay, you ready? Look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and like every one of us, every one of us kids in the room like looked around at each other and were like, wow, he's right. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, mm-hmm. you know, and whether you're doing it as, whether you're doing it to give something away or share music as a common experience, I think there's something to that. And it is like a drug. Once you get a taste of that, nothing else will do. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, I think that's why a lot of musicians get into drugs because then, I mean, there's other reasons too. Yeah. Um, but, but that's because you felt that adulation, you felt that applause, you felt that 
that that common energy that an audience makes yeah. aimed at you as a performer. And then when it's gone, mm-hmm. there's a giant hole. Mm-hmm. And the farther you get into that, the, the bigger the crowds get and the bigger you've invested your life in that, the bigger that emptiness gets. Right. The quieter that silence gets when you're away from it. And I think a lot of people try to fill that hole with something that gives you that something at least similar. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm not judging no, you know, I one think, way or I, another. I think that was beautifully said i mean very very well articulated i, I think it's it's infinitely fascinating like all the ways that we're all the all the yeah. all the ways in which it does serve us to be on stage i mean you are the mat you have the magic you're experiencing the magic magic of creating something with other people and there is there yeah. is a magic factor there you know there is like you spoke the, the relationship with your audience there's like a give and take um you right, have right, the right. chance to be heard Maybe many of us go through most of our life feeling unheard is a chance to be heard, right? Right. Um, which is probably addictive, and then you know it's certainly in, in just a re- it's an amazing release as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's there's there's a lot of there's a lot of great things it's doing for you, and then the, and so of course the contrast of you know when the show is over certainly yeah it can be. Right. You know, it can be hard to. It can be. You can't maintain that can feeling. You cannot maintain that feeling not naturally. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, look at it this way. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of a theory that I have about why we do this as musicians, right? Like, there's arguments. If you want to get into physics, like, is light a particle or a wave? And follow it. Follow. Work with me on mm-hmm. this. Follow me. Like, is is light a particle or a wave? Or you know, everything in the world, like everything in the known universe, like oscillates or vibrates, right? Yep. You can look at a sound wave, and it's an oscillation. And the world is, you know, the Earth is spinning on its axis and going around the sun. The sun is going around the Milky Way axis or out in one of those outer arms. Mm-hmm. The universe itself is moving like everything is moving and oscillating and vibrating. And when we, we participate in music, we ourselves are participating in that stuff of life, that stuff of the science that makes us exist, right. the magic of science, that, that oscillation. So we strum a guitar and play a G chord, which is my favorite chord, by the way. Mm-hmm. We play a G chord. And now we're participating in that. You know, we're not just participating in it passively as, you know, riding around on that planet, which is riding around that star, which is riding around the galaxy, which is riding around in the universe. Like we are now part of right. it. We are participating. In it. We are we are creating part of that. You know, I don't want to say we're godlike, um, but we're creating yeah. something, I think, you know, or, yeah. or, or at least moving, moving with that vibration, I guess is what I'm saying. I think Am it's, I it's often it's often described, you know, that of, you know, be feeling very alive, you know, and I think yeah. for that for that reason. It, Exactly what you're saying, yeah. And, uh, and once you get it, once it bites you, it'll never let go. So, exactly. I right, keep so saying now, lately, I keep saying, uh, I'm pretty sure that music did save my life, but I'm also certain it might, ru- yeah. it might ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, you hit on some truth there. I love it. Like the two things, yeah, the two things that have saved me in my life that I can tell, other than like family and friends, et cetera, like, yeah. uh, that are not human, are music and dogs. Yes. Like those are the things that have, that have, that have, saved me in the times that I needed saving. And as a result, I will be blindly devoted to both music oh, and yeah. dogs for all of my days and probably beyond that as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Nellie Clay, Nashville-based singer, songwriter. Nellie Clay Music is her website. And uh, we've heard some songs from her. We're going to sing another song here in a second. But um, this is kind of a funny thing. Like this is, I've been looking, as I've been thinking about this interview, this to me becomes like almost like the bummer part of the interview because now I need to take you out of Alaska. <laughs> So you're in Alaska. You've started playing music. Mm-hmm. You know, how, first of all, how long did you spend in Alaska? Uh, nine years. Okay, that's yeah. a pretty goodly amount of time. That's a good amount of time. A lot of that, most of that time in the woods. You know, without too many utilities. So, 
<laughs> it feels yeah. like, I feel like, you know, kind of like sometimes you measure something in dog years or whatever. I feel like those were off, right, off right. the grid years count for like two, <laughs> like I don't know, two, oh, yeah. two for one, maybe. I don't know. Oh, you know what? Wait, wait, quick. Before we get out of Alaska, mm-hmm. there's one more thing I wanted to bring up because I'm curious to know what you think about sure. it, which is this idea. You, you kind of touched upon it before, which is like because you didn't have TV signal, uh, you know, didn't really have, you know, radio or phone mm-hmm. or, or any of that kind of input. Nothing. Because when, when I think about my life, I had to learn to unplug. And this was even before the internet, like, because I, I love music. So back in the day, mm-hmm. this is in college, I had a radio in every room in my house. I had a stereo in the kitchen, or I'm sorry, I had a stereo in the living room. I had a radio in the kitchen for when I was like stuck in there washing dishes. Mm-hmm. I had a radio in the bathroom for when I was taking a shower. I had another radio in my bedroom for listening and relaxing and for sexy times, of course. And, but I, to when I started writing songs, like, of course it needs to be quiet because if you're listening to something, you're not going to be writing. But I had to learn to turn off that music. Even though I loved it, sure. I had to physically force myself. I called it like reversing the flow mm-hmm. or like creating a vacuum. Like I had to create that vacuum and my mind would like buck like a like a steer like you know like when you when you brand it or something like it, yeah it's like it's ah it wants it wants that input it wants that sound it wants that vibration mm-hmm. but then what i found was if i could make it through that like that withdrawal period then my brain would automatically populate that vacuum with music absolutely that i was creating sure it would bubble up automatically because there can't be that silence there can't be you know an absence of anything mm-hmm. so or uh, uh, or an absence of something. Yeah, you can hear so, what's inside I mean, what, you instead of what's outside you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad we agreed. Oh, sorry, it's just my theory. I'm, I'm 100%. Full, I'm full of cog- I'm full of crackpot theories. Today. I'm sorry <laughs> that you're 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 you this has become the medium for them anyway. So That's okay. so now Nellie Clay, take me just like before, you know, you had a moment where you decided, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to Alaska. This is a big revelation. Mm-hmm. Like, how was it to have then that second revelation that, hey, it's time to leave Alaska? Right. And then where did you decide where to go next? Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, um, I mean, if you'd asked me even maybe two years ago, three years ago, like if I don't think I had any plans of ever leaving Alaska. I think for many, many, many years that, that I was there, I, if you would ask me, my intention was to stay there forever. Um, so, but I think um, yeah, basically I, I just, you know, some circumstances happened, you know, meeting some fallen connection with some of the right people and circumstances and ended up making, recording this last record um, that I put out this past year. And, uh, a good friend of mine that lives here in Nashville, I sent it to him. Tim Easton is his name, and I sent it to him to yeah. to, play, to sing some background vocals on it. And he just and we had met at a, at a festival in Alaska years earlier, playing music. And uh, he just loved the record. And you know, I wasn't particularly tied down, and um, and he, you know, thought he threw it the idea out there of like maybe you should come to Nashville. I kind of thought that was intimidating, crazy idea. Um, but also my, you know, a very good friend, Megan Palmer lives here and just plays, uh, fiddle on the record and, right, and right. is here. Pl- yeah. We heard her play before. Exactly. Play and again. so between Tim and Megan, um, they really kind of, um, like introduced the idea as a possibility and came to visit them a few times. And, you know, I think I felt the sunshine on my skin for the first time in nearly a decade uh, <laughs> yeah. and and was like, wow, like, okay, you know, next chapter, I was totally up for it. It was a kind of, a, it was a really dif- different transition. Um, Alaska, yeah. I also kind of felt like, 
now's my chance to get at like if I stay in Alaska much longer, I'm not sure I'll ever be fit for anywhere else. <laughs> right, right. You know, so that's what you know. I and again, once I decide, I just pull the I just pull the trigger and go. I don't sit around and stew about it for very long. Right. Never have. <laughs> I am so like I'm so envious of like that ability or that. Uh, tendency trait, perhaps, because like I will, I mean, I certainly love, I love adventure. I'm always in the mountains and I've done crazy things in my life and I probably continue to do them, you know, compared to some people I know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, most adventurous person I know. Um, but like in, like if from the, the view from my, the inside of my head is very different. You sure. Know, I think like I'm never, I'm never adventuring enough. I'm never doing these things enough. Like I'm always wanting more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And, but I feel like, I feel like for me, it's because, and maybe that's, it's because inside my head, like that there's that shift in the time space continuum. Like I can think about something. It seems like I'm thinking about it all day, but maybe it's really only a week. Right. And maybe my ex-girlfriends would take umbrage with this, but like, I feel like <laughs> I, 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 I mull decisions a long time. Like I really, I consider all the options. I have an overactive oh, imagination and all my, in, my intellect. It, it is torturous. And it thinks about it. It's like, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what, and let me think about this and think about that because, you know, as, as impulsive as I may seem sometime, and, and I think that's part of being a musician too. Like we, we, we practice endlessly to make it look effortless and in the moment. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And maybe that's a, a perfect metaphor for like how my brain works in terms of making these big decisions. Like I mull it and I mull it and I mull it and I mull it and like, okay, time to go. And it might seem impulsive to somebody else who hasn't listened to the inside of my narrative going, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? Why should you do this? What if you go on Tuesday? What if you go on Wednesday? Should I get the blue truck or the red truck? Man, that red guitar looks really, really awesome. And I think that other amplifier is really good. You know, yeah. it's like that, 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 like that like monkey mind type thing. Oh, yeah. You know, some people call it that. So kudos to you. I'm, I'm so, and maybe that's why I needed to meet you. I'm envious <laughs> of you and your ability to just kind of jump into things. I'm somehow uh, able to so, quiet my mind, I guess, and just go with the gut. It's always right. It's never the easy thing. Yeah. But it's always right. Yeah, I think so. Or you anyway. know, as, as as Mr. Isbell so saith, Jason Isbell, the right thing, or his father through the through the song. You know, the right thing is always the hardest thing to do. True that. And. Mm-hmm. And jumping, jumping is the adventure. And by the way, I know Tim. Tim's been on the show, and mm-hmm. that's how I know you. Yes, I'm not sure if you made I know, that connection, I but that's how, I, that's how I. I have him to thank for our, yeah. our introduction. And I do like Tim. I love his music. I've loved it for a long time. Oh yeah. But here's a funny thing: when his when I'm playing his music around my mom, and I take you know this is a, I take this as a point of honor. My mom's like, "Hey, is that your music?" She always thinks that Tim's music is my music, and I think that that's that's really great oh, that gosh. my mom thinks my music is as good as. Tim. I guess I'm going to have to listen funny? to your music, Joe, because. Oh, I well, I would be honored what, if you did. I love what Tim does. Yeah, I do too. I would be honored. I would, I'd be happy to send you some. Oh, yeah. Uh, in any case, so now we've gotten to Nashville. I want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about Nashville. Um, but first, let's play another song. You've got another one uh, queued up here. Okay. And this is, uh, pronounce this for me. Is it <laughs> Melvina? Melvina? Like, how do you, like, who is this person and, okay. and why are we writing about her? Um, this is, I'm calling this Melvina's song. And, uh, Melvina. Melvina. Okay. Uh, this is kind of cool, I think, anyway. At least it speaks to the kind of songwriter that I am, um, which is definitely most of the time storyteller. Uh, Melvina was my great-great-grandmother. Her name was Melvina Picklesimer, if if our listening people can believe that. Um, and uh, basically, I have a photo of her as an old woman that sits on my mantle. I say hi to her every day. But um, myself and, and my cousin Trisha has done a lot of genealogy research with our family and kind of uncovered a lot of family stories and photographs and, and documentation and so forth. And, and plus, my grandfather... Um, 
was uh, still, you know, alive and knew her because she was his grandmother. And um, uh-huh. this story of this song, basic, this song tells the story of an unbelievable event that happened in her very young life at the beginning of the Civil War. Um, that she, you know, it's miraculously, miraculously survived. And if not for that, I guess I wouldn't be here. So, um, I think it's important yeah. to, you know, um, pay homage to the people, the really amazingly strong people that came before us and, um, to know, learn their stories and to retell them. And that's how we live forever, I guess. So this is, um, Melvina's song. All right. Wise words, Nellie Clay. I agree. We are standing on the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of giants and thank them all for that. So this is Nellie Clay, Melvina Song on Independence Day.
This week's guest on Independence Day is Nellie Clay, Nashville-based artist. We've talked about her time in Alaska. Uh, that was Melvina's song, by the way. And now we are getting to getting to Nashville. Like, I mean, it's it's such an interesting time to go to Nashville. And I talked about Tim when Tim was on the show, not Tim Easton. I'm talking about not so not so long ago. Talked about the same exact thing because you know he I know he came from Ohio. He'd been living out in Joshua Tree area. Mm-hmm. I met him in L.A. Even though I'd seen him at shows before that in various places. It's kind of a hot time to go to Nashville, and I don't mean just like June and July <laughs> in Nashville, because it is most certainly hot and sultry and soupy. But like, so Tim and Megan, it seems like, and you convinced yourself to go to Nashville. And then what's the first thing you do when you get there? Because it seems like, like that's the place to be right now. Like in the music, yeah. in my lifetime, in the music world, it's, it, was, it was like Athens for a while, and then it was Minneapolis for a while. And then, I don't know, like, it's like that, that center of like the, what's going on. And then it was Seattle, like the Seattle center for what's happening in music seems to kind of move around every few years. Um, and right now it is very much seems like it's Nashville. So tell me the good and the bad about that. Let's see. I mean, I, I was so overwhelmed by so many things come, you know, being that I was coming from Alaska, but, um, I think it's got to imagine. Yeah, I mean, and, and the sunshine, the warmth, it really is a part of that. It does affect uh, how you feel and everything like that. Um, uh, I've met so many amazing people since I've been here. I think one of the best things is, I think I, I don't know, maybe maybe everywhere else you live that um, you know music is secondary for most people doing it, and you know here you're surrounded by people that are obsessed with the same thing that you are, and um, you know, which is, it's socially acceptable to talk about music 24 hours a day, you know? <laughs> it's like existing on this show. Right. This is what I talk about all exactly. the time. And like, where, you know, that nobody asks you what your real job is, you know, we always say that. And it's so true. And it's, it's kind of amazing. It's like, because I think we all, you know, feel like, you know, weirdos, you know, in context maybe of people with more pragmatic lifestyles or jobs and things. And so it's sort of, I liken it to being you know, a rare dodo bird that like, you know, finds their super weirdo flock. Like, you know, you're surrounded by your own kind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like going to a Tom Waits show. I've only (laughs) ever been lucky enough to see one Tom Waits show in my entire life. And there aren't that many Tom Waits fans. And he's a very eccentric artist. So that kind of lends credence to the idea that maybe his fans might themselves be a little bit eccentric or at least appreciate eccentricity. And the one show I went to in Chicago years ago, I remember standing out on the street, like looking around going, yes, this is us. This is what we live. And he never plays live too. So there's that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't get a chance to commiserate with these other people other than like your own little cadre of Tom Waits fans and your own little cadre part of the universe, Tom Waits part of the universe. Sure. It's like, these are the people. These are my people. Oh, yeah. You know, in California, California's like that to me, too. Like, I feel like all the freaks and weirdos, it's like they tumbled <laughs> west. Like, they were, they were following, following the sun. They tumbled west until they couldn't tumble any more west. Like, they landed on Santa Monica Beach. And I was like, okay, now here we are. You know, let's, you know, that's, they, then they started to like get their own mass and gravity. And then like, it became like the center of a part of the universe, yeah. musically speaking. But Nash, Nashville's different, like if, especially for, you know, they always joke, it's, it's the country music place, but there's all kinds of different styles of music. Oh, yeah. Every time I go, it's like, it blows me away. You can, go, you can hear anything. You can hear just about anything you want. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just great. There's so many people to collaborate with. So like, if you, you know, are, you know, for me, I feel like it's a great place to learn and grow you know, from others and, and, you know, and have new experiences. So, and that's, it seems it's pretty infinite (laughs) here. So, 
Now tell me, I mean, tell me, tell me in what ways is it supportive? Because I feel like that the flip side of mm-hmm. that, when there's so many people doing the same thing in one place, it gets kind of saturated. You certainly, I feel that in LA, I feel that in New York, I feel that in Chicago. And I also do feel that sure. when I'm in Nashville too. Like how does it maintain a supportive feel to it if it's, if there's so many people doing the same thing? Like, is it hard to make a buck doing the kind of mm-hmm. things? It certainly is here in LA. Yeah. I mean, I, there is a, there is a wonderful support wise, emotionally I think is kind of nice in that we do have there's a great camaraderie amongst um, musicians in the East Nashville music scene Um, it feels like a family and and I should and I can't talk about Nashville without saying that Um, so that's really amazing Um, you know the money I probably I wouldn't want to spend more than a second talking about that (laughs) because you know yeah don't like I don't know definitely not in it for that which is a good thing because it's tough you know i'm a front person so i you know i got a band to pay and there's things like that right right right. just like we were talking earlier that's like you know five minutes of magic on stage somehow makes up for the rest of the struggle right well those are the realities of being a musician though i mean getting paid for is harder than ever we talk about that a lot on this show because you know we all do it because we love it but a lot of us who stuck with it this long uh, you know, are still trying to make some kind of living at it, or at least that's the dream mm-hmm. and the dream that we work to make a reality. And maybe sometimes we do, maybe sometimes we don't. That's the way it's been in my life. There's been certainly times where I did and times where I don't. And, you know, the joke that I will tell people is, you know, people ask me what I do and I say, well, I'm a songwriter, which means I'll do anything you'll pay me to right. do. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'll mow your lawn, I'll wash your dishes, I will write your song, I'll build your house, I'll make your beer, I will produce your radio show. I will, you know, I, the list of jobs that I've had to, to support my music compulsion is, is you know, like everybody else's, I guess. Oh, yeah. Just like dozens and dozens of different things. Like if it, I always joke that I was going to make a business card. Then on the front just had my name. And on the back, like had like eight columns of all the different things that I've done with little check boxes next to them. So when I met somebody, it's like, okay, what context does this person know me? Yeah. Like, am I, am I, am I an audio engineer for this guy? Okay. I'll check that box. Yeah. And then he also had some of my homemade beer. So I'll check that box. Okay. <laughs> this is what I, for you, for you, this is what I do, you know? And then I don't know. It's just, yeah. that's the way I've looked at it. I'll just call um, all those jobs so, character builders. That's what, that's what those, all yeah. those side jobs were. <laughs> Exactly. So, but and, and kudos to you because that's the thing, you know, musicians like all those band members that are in your band that you're paying and again and and congrats and, and good for you for paying those people. Um, you know, we all are as musicians are drawn to these places where music is happening because we want to get paid to do mm-hmm. it and that makes it kind of doubly hard as a band leader. Yeah. Because you're the one signing the check, so to speak. Um, so that's just a policy for you. You you're always paying them when they show up? Oh my god. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like these guys, well, one, they're my friend, and they're my friends, uh, which is, I sort of insist, I only work with friends, but, um, which is, right. even if it was like, we're, we're going to be friends after the gig, you know, it's like, we all have to get along and, and, and whatnot. Right. We always eat at my house before, before we practice and then do the gig. But yeah, I mean, it would be, I can't imagine not paying them. I realize that not only are they, uh, you know, showing up, you know, for sound check an hour in advance, maybe we're playing for an hour, you know, and tear down. But right. I know that, the, the countless hours they, they put in behind the scenes preparing and learning the material and not just standing up there and and going through the motions, but every single one of the people I play with are so engaged and have, um, you know, such, uh, they connect with 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 myself and, and everybody else on stage. And I feel like they, right. they go above and beyond and their, their time is very valuable. So I... Yeah, it certainly is. 
you know, and musicians, like you said, they're, they're making a living any way they, they possibly can. Yeah. You mean, what percentage, oh, here's a funny question, just in your circle of music, music people in, in Nashville, because I mean, I can certainly give a, a percentage here in LA, what percentage of the people that you know, like in your circle in, L, in Nashville are making a living doing music, would you mm, say? You know, I think, um, I think it's a great place for um, side people, you know? Like, yeah, gosh, I definitely. mean, and, and I, I'm, I could be totally wrong here. From, from where I sit, it would be pretty good to be maybe a pedal steel player. Or <laughs> oh yeah, you know, although you know, there's a lot of them or whatever. That's and they struggle too. That's another. Th- I mean, I, I know their struggle struggle is real because I they're avail- they're amazing players available for hire for fifty dollars a night. And where when I think the caliber caliber of players they are, they should be getting paid more than that. It, you know, I'm happy right. that I can afford them, but I shouldn't be able to afford them. Maybe I, you know, I don't know, right. but I think like I see some side people, you know, doing pretty well. They're, they're working their butts off and they're on the road all the time. Right. Right. Um, but you know, I think I, you know, uh, I tend to think it's my own point of view, but I think it maybe is a little bit harder when you're the front person, if you're going to, you know, work with a band, yeah. um, and then you're, and you're, you know, fronting, you know, your album and the stuff behind it. Right, right. I should, you know, come back my next life as a side person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I always tell people, like, if you want to, you know, I see young musicians, you know, kids, yeah. uh, and I've had some younger people on the show, um, you know, high school age kids who are very, very talented, and I'm not worried in the least about the future of music in our country. Uh, I mean, in, in the sense that people are always going to want to do it, like Gillian Gilly Welch said, you know, everything mm-hmm. is free mm-hmm. now. So we're still all trying to find a way to get paid, but... Um, and talent-wise, the talent is certainly out there. Um, and I always tell these kids, you know, like, they ask, like, well, what should I do? What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I'm like, if you want to work in music, you can certainly write your own songs, and I would never discourage anybody from being, like, the mm-hmm. band leader. But as an alternate thing, you know, also learn to play an instrument other than guitar yeah. or piano or vocals. Because you will work. If you want to work in music, and I say that capital W-O-R-K, mm-hmm. all caps. If you want to work in music, become a pedal steel player, become a, player. a really good keyboard player, like <laughs> bass player, mm-hmm. become, you know, drummer is a little harder. You can kind of do it, but it's like an erector set every time you play somewhere. Like the setup and tear down is too much work. Um, but yeah, play, you know, play, play an esoteric instrument. Yeah. Pedal steel, uh, maybe maybe even mandolin, you know, upright mm-hmm. bass is a great one these days. Um you know, and then like a keyboard player who can do not just piano, but like Hammond organ, Wurlitzer, oh, yeah. accordion, melodica, all that kind of stuff. Because so you people will get gigs, and they do. Oh, all yeah. the people I know, bass players are number one. Become a great bass player, you will always Absolutely. work. Absolutely. You know, you're not gonna. People don't think about the bass players being the sexiest person in the band, <laughs> but when getting paid is sexy, they're most certainly the sexiest person Absolutely. in the band. Absolutely, very good advice. <laughs> Anyway, all right, I'm talking too much. So I'm talking to Nellie Clay. We've got one more song here before I'm going to kick your butt on out of here because I'm running out of time and I'm sure you are too. We're busy people. We've got to get out there and make some money so we can pay all these great musicians uh, and write songs, etc. So what's this last song? I think it's Dear Heart. Tell me a bit about this. You know, um, some of my songs have long stories attached to them and some of them don't. Um, this is one of them that, uh, that is maybe lyrically less straightforward than some others. It doesn't really tell a story, but it, and it did kind of fall from the sky and wrote itself really pretty quickly. But, you know, I guess, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a lonesome night. <laughs> I think I, ha- I was having it was maybe, um, and I, and I, aunt, my cousin who calls me dear heart texted me and said, it was, it was as simple as this, Joe. She texted me and said, thinking of you, dear heart. And I picked up the guitar Aww. and, you know, dear heart, uh, just kind of rolled off the tongue. 
There you go. <laughs> Isn't it the greatest thing in the world as a writer when that happens? Yeah. Like when the song just kind of shows shows up. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm like almost fully formed. Like that's, like, man, I don't know. I, I, mean, I wish we had more time to talk about songwriting yeah. stuff. This, that's these things. These interviews could be like 60 hours long. Because like, like for me, songs are like kids. Like some kids are birthed very easily. They just kind of show up. They know what to do. They're not in the street. They're not climbing trees. They're just, they just kind of grow up and mature and off they go and do their thing. Yeah. And then some kids like, you know, they're into this. They're like constantly breaking their leg and they're oh, yeah. <laughs> they're constantly getting in trouble. And like, and they take years and years and years to mature. And some say they never do. Yeah. Um, and you, you love both of them for different reasons. But boy, is it nice when a song shows up and just kind of lands in your lap. Because you feel like you're just, you feel like you're just delivering something into the world and here it yeah. is. And off it goes, you know. They're both gifts, different kinds of gifts. Yeah. Indeed. And as a writer, we get to experience both of those. Thank God for mm-hmm. that. So this is Nellie Clay. The song is Dear Heart and Independence Day. One, two, three, two, two, three. Go softly, dear heart. I know how you hide in the night. Catch me in the morning 
Wonderful, wonderful, Nelly. Another new-ish song, Dear Heart. Uh, thanks for listening to that. Please stop by, everybody who's listening. Go to indepthday.com. You can hear all these songs listed there. You can hear the full interview. Uh, there's another there's a bonus song that you're going to be able to hear as well, kind of about where she came from. And Nelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. We've got a couple little things to talk about, but thank you already. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, and go buy her music. She's got a record that just came out late last year. It's called Never Did What I Should Have Done. She's got one other one before that from a few years before. I think that one's called Born Too Late. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and we're all on our own continuum. So just go out and buy her music and support <laughs> artists. Support artists. Buy their music at shows. I say that all the time. If you want to support an artist, go to their show and buy the music there. It doesn't matter what format you buy it in because that puts money directly in their pocket. And Apple, as much as I love them, doesn't get their mm-hmm. cut. And, and then it's up to her. Who, you know, it's up to the artist who they decide to pay for that because they, they know best who helped them along the way and what they're doing. So uh, you've got some gigs coming up, and you've got a fairly busy concert schedule here. You're playing uh, the Woody Guthrie Festival in Okima, which is your home state. Uh, tell me just a little bit about this. How did you get involved in that? Uh, I have to uh, give credit to Tim Easton for that one, too, actually. Um, I was I had sent the tracks for my record to him to sing on, and, and there's a, the first track of the record is called Oklahoma. And, you know, and he was like, you know, my God girl, we're, you know, he and Megan were getting ready to go play the festival. And um, he he wrote the people with the festival and sent them my song and con- and convinced Aww. them. It was in like two weeks. And, it, and this is, you know, a few like three years ago. He convinced them that uh, uh-huh. I had to come. Um, and Aww. so they said, they said, yeah, so that's what, uh, ironically, it took uh, my friend from Ohio to get me to, to Okima, even though it's... Um, you know, I kind of come from not not far yeah. from there, but um, it was a, kind of a it was important to me on many levels. It's it's a, it's a special festival. Yeah. It's a gathering of great people, and it was a coming home for me too. It was it was very special. Definitely, it's like what's that book by? Is it The Alchemist by Paul Coelho? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to blow the whole thing where he goes like all the way around the world and he finds out the treasure he was looking for or treasure he didn't even know he was looking for was kind of under his feet the whole oh, time. Yeah. I love stuff like that. So great. I'm, I'm, that's going to be great for you to go home. Um, so anybody who's in the you know Okima area, go to the Woody Guthrie Festival. That's July 13th through the 17th. So basically the rest of this week, mm-hmm. um, you know, through the weekend. And then you've got another Alaska tour coming yep. up here. You've got a, looks like about uh, 20 dates up there. 20 mm-hmm. days in that. How many how many times do you play while you're up there? Ah, uh, we've got gigs? like. 12, uh, working on it, adding a few more dates in there too. We're going to be pretty busy, but That's you know, very, very we want to nice. leave some time for, you know, hiking and kayaking too. <laughs> yeah. So sitting around the campfire and playing songs with bearded yeah, men and flannels. Yeah. Uh, also then you're gigs, in Knoxville, yeah. Tennessee. <laughs> very nice. Also you're playing uh, blue plate special. That's in Knoxville, Tennessee, Wednesday, August 24th. Anybody in the Knoxville area, please check that out. Gypsy Sally's in DC um, Thursday, the 25th and Saturday, the 27th at Rockwood music hall in New York, New York. You know, I lived in New York for a while. I haven't been back in ages. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I just want to ride around. Like I don't even, I don't even have to talk to me. I just want to ride around in the back of your like van and just like go to these places. I'm, I'm like, there's got, there's gotta be a word for jealousy when it's not negative. Uh-huh. Like it's like happy jealousy or like supportive jealousy. Like, there's got to be a new word for that. If you help me, th- if you think of that word, anybody, you, everybody, just like, let's come up with a word for that. Cause there's, it's a concept that I don't think exists in the English language. And I feel it all the time. Like, sure. I'm jealous. I want to be doing it, but I'm not like enviously jealous. Uh-huh. I'm like happily and positively and supportively jealous. So that's your assignment. Everybody out there, 
Let's come up with a word for that. So Nelly, thank you again so much for like taking me on this journey, taking us on this, this like, because I, I, I love your journey. I love people's <laughs> journeys and you've got a great one. I'm glad I got to share it with everybody. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Everybody's got a great story. And I think so too. And that's our goal is to figure out what that is. So, uh, and everybody go see her shows, NellieClayMusic.com. We talked about that. She's on Facebook as well. Uh, she's got a great band. She's got great songs. She's like the whole package, something like that, whatever that means in music. So go check her out if you're in the Nashville area or any of these states she's playing. And Nelly, please keep in touch with us. Let us know if you're out in the California way. You've always got a safe place to crash here. And uh, we'll find you some gigs uh, with hipster people in Silver Lake. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get you a white belt um, <laughs> and an ill-fitting sweater, and you'll be off and running. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Okay, so thanks to Nellie Clay and her wonderful band, as well as to her technical staff, recording engineers Gabe Masterson and Jay Took, and video tech John McCollum as well. Also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The generous Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. He's a badass. You should check his work out. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lake Smith Society, another favorite of mine. And as always, for Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.